Let's imagine the not-too-distant future. You feel more in control of your photos than you ever have before. You look forward to the regular creative dates on your calendar. You're moving forward on that project that means so much to you. You are on fire with inspiration, and you are finally scrapbooking consistently. This is not a hypothetical, it's a real-life possibility. And for the first time, I've created a workshop specifically focused on the problem of consistency. It's called Sparked, and I'm excited to share it with you for free. Visit simplescrapper.com sparked to get access to the training and make this possibility your reality. And I think it's important to not feel guilty about letting go of those supplies if they're going to invite more space in your life that will help you be creative. Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson, owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode 56. In this episode, I'm answering more than 40 juicy, thought-provoking questions submitted by members of our My Simple Scrapper community. Hey friends, welcome to this special Q&A episode. I thought it would be fun to just sit down and answer a whole bunch of questions submitted by our members. We have such a warm and friendly community, and they ask me questions all the time, but I knew if I put out a call that they would totally come through, and they did in spades. So I've got more than 40 questions here that I'm going to go through, and I've roughly categorized them by topic. And I just think this is going to be a really good uh, window into some of my thought process and maybe an opportunity also to share some things that we don't always talk about here on the podcast, sometimes because the topics are so small or because they're even so large. How do you even break it down into a manageable discussion? So I'm excited for this one and I hope you are too. Let's dive in. So first, we have a very big picture question from Cynthia. Why do we scrapbook? And of course, this is going to be so personal. But what I'm going to say here is that scrapbooking is this unique combination of creativity and artistry and legacy keeping and that personal connection we have to all of our stories And the reason we come to the table on any given day can vary. We may desperately need that creative outlet. We need to step away from all the stresses of life and come to our tables, come to our laptops to make something with our hands because we need that release. And other times we may be feeling completely driven by the end result. We want to get this story told so that we can share it with others so we can have that completed because you feel a deep sense of importance about this story. And so all of us fall at any given time on this continuum from being very story and legacy focused and being more creativity and artistry focused. And there's always a beautiful jumble in between, but I think it's important to recognize that what's motivating you this week, next week, and next year is going to shift. 
And even between scrapbookers, what brings us to the table is going to be very different. We all come at this from different perspectives. And that's why the end result or part of why the end result looks so different because we all have such a deep connection to that that answer of why we scrapbook. And it's so unique and individual, just like all of us. Thank you, Cynthia, for that question. I think it was a perfect way to kick off this episode. All right, Cameron has a really big question. She's asking, how do you start scrapbooking again when you stopped years ago? Do you start with the projects you left off with? Should you buy new paper and supplies or just use the old paper and supplies? Should you start with new photos or the old ones? So I've heard this so many times over the years, and I'm going to give a couple different suggestions here. Um, The first one is to start with new photos, and that is because I think these are going to be the ones that you feel most connected to. Um, You have the most drive to scrapbook, and that could light a fire under you and really get you back into the hobby. Um, In terms of the supplies... I think it would be fun to try playing with some of those old supplies before you buy anything new. And that's for a specific reason. Not because I think it's that important to use old things up, because if, if they're truly not inspiring you, then it's not going to be helpful. But for the fact that these older supplies can help tell you, is this still the way that I like to scrapbook? Do I still like using these types of pattern papers, these brands of products, these types of embellishments? Is this how I want to scrapbook going forward? So by playing with those supplies, creating a few pages, you can give yourself some clues about where to go in the future. And it's for that reason that I don't recommend starting with older projects unless you're feeling totally compelled to do so. I think you will find the most success dabbling in a few things, not making huge commitments and really trying to figure out what is your new way now. And some of that may look like the way you scrapbooked in the past and some of it may not at all. There's so many options today and I just wanted to you to keep an open mind Uh, to all the possibility and not let any guilt or frustration about the time that's passed or the supplies that are unused really get you down. Because what I really want to see you doing is just moving forward from here and enjoying both uh, those that creative therapy and the legacy building that you have from the hobby. So Ina has a similar question, but it's a little more time constrained. How do you get started again after a slump? And I think that this is where challenges and classes and really in guided activities in general can be really helpful because sometimes we just need someone to tell us what to do. Um, We can all be kind of self-motivated in different areas of our life, but if you're not feeling, you know, massive productivity and energy in one area, that's where it's helpful to follow along for a little bit because that reminds you of why you like this without having to make a ton of decisions. So she also asked, how do you rethink your entire process in your library of albums so that you make more progress? And I think it's really easy to get caught up in wanting that to be perfect. And I think it's more important to think about what is one thing that I want to finish right now? 
And to think about that, to think about what's exciting me, what's meaningful to me, and pick that one thing to work on and to get it done. And then after you do that, look at everything again. See if you have major clarity. If you still don't have huge clarity, then pick something else to do. It may be similar to the one you just did, or it may be different. It could be just, for example, another layout. But it could be if you finished a project, it could be another project that you want to try. Maybe one was in one format and you want to try another. There's a huge value when you're kind of in a state of rebooting your hobby and you're feeling uncertain, there's this huge value in experimentation and exploration. And I want to encourage you, just as I did with Cameron, to to do that and go down that path without feeling like you need all of the answers right now. As you take each step forward, you will find new answers along the way. I hope that's helpful for you. And then the last question in this section, which is I labeled the more kind of meta question about scrapbooking is from Annette. And she says, how do you keep your family involved in your passion for scrapbooking? So I do this in a couple of ways, and I'm sure you guys do a lot more. One is that I am constantly taking pictures and I'm also involving them in taking pictures of each other, like handing off that camera and just making sure that photography is just part of what we do when we're out living in the world. Um, That part tends to be easier than others. In terms of scrapbooking, there's two other things that I do. One is that I try to share the end result. I share my projects with my family. Now, I'm not always the best at this, but I try my best to when something is finished, I have them look through it. I keep certain albums downstairs in the family room so that they can look through when they want to. I get our holiday albums out at Christmas time, and I encourage them to look through these projects so they understand why I create them. And I think the other part of it is I make sure that I am communicating with my family about the time that I want to spend on scrapbooking, that that they know that I'm not just goofing off in my office, that I'm up here, I'm doing something that's important to me. And when I make when I keep those open lines of communication, it's very easier or it's much easier for them to respect that and to honor that and to maybe even not interrupt me because they know that I'm scrapbooking and this time is important to me. So I think that type of communication is important uh, because most likely they're not going to be as passionate as you are. That's normal. Um, Maybe you do have family members that want to join in and that's terrific. I love scrapbooking with my daughter and she, I can tell she's going to be a scrapbooker someday, but my husband just wants to see the photos. And so I try to make sure that I respect that by treating our photo library with love and making sure that I'm keeping up and also including lots of his photos in our photo library and in the projects that I create. All right. Thanks, Annette, for that question. So the next section of questions relates to the My Simple Scrapper community, our membership program. So Melissa asked, how do you navigate My Simple Scrapper if you're a longtime member, yet you haven't tapped into the amazingness of the the site? Where do you start? What is the first three things that you should do? And she said, yes, this is for me. So I appreciate the positive words that you think the site is amazing. And of course, there's a lot there. We've been building this for so many years now. So we have so many resources. Even though we frequently declutter, it is quite robust so that there's a little bit of something for everyone. 
So the first thing I recommend is going through our member orientation class. And we try our best to keep this up to date as things are moving around and, and things are changing within the community. But that's the best way to know where things are and what you can expect um, from the community. Uh, the second thing I recommend is looking at our events tab. We have so many things going on these days. I have regular events, including our monthly Your Way workshops, which are open to everyone, free to the public. Um, we have our book club discussions inside the membership. Uh, we have our monthly events. So coming up for March, we're going to have our Stash Bash event. This is a seven-day uh, decluttering and organizing challenge. And of course, we have member organized crops. These are listed as open crop time. So this is time on Zoom where you can just sit, hang out with your best creative buddies, um, chat as much as you like, be as quiet as much as you like, and just have time to create. I know so many members rely on this time to get them to come to their table and set aside that time to scrapbook. And then the third thing I would do is read this month's issue of Spark Magazine. Now, you have access to our entire back library of 70-plus issues now, but I would dive into this month's issue and pick one thing to create, one thing that inspires you, whether that's a story approach, a sketch, a page you want to scrap lift, even maybe if you get an inspiration from a photo, choose one thing from that issue to then make a page. So you'll notice here that I always encourage you to just focus on that one next thing. There's always a time and a place for making bigger lists and, and making more strategic plans. But when you're trying to get started again, always focusing on that one next thing will serve you very well. Thanks, Melissa. All right, Jamie asked a related question in terms of our community. How does the app differ from the web browser? And so the content inside of each is totally the same. Um, you can get access to all of our resources from both the, the web browser version of our community as well as the Android and iOS apps. And one thing you want to know is that the apps do have a slightly different user experience. So you can't always find the things in the same way because you don't have as much space. For example, you need to use an event to get into a live chat from the app. Um, and there's a few quirks like that, but there's not really that many major differences. Just things are placed in different ways just to optimize the space on the app. And so I love using the app for checking in with conversations, um, seeing what's going on, replying to replying to conversations, you know, pressing that heart button to like a conversation or a comment. I also really like using the app for sharing my pages because I can snap a quick photo of, you know, a finished page or a work in progress on my phone and then upload it to the community from the app without ever having to worry about getting it on my computer. So Annette asked a fun question. She said, how can the membership support you and your scrapbooking goals too? And so she, what she means is how can the community support me? And I really appreciate that thoughtfulness. And so I will say that the member hosted crops, our open crop times have been 
really important for this because I love showing up whenever I can. And that time is always super productive for me because I'm not in charge. We usually have a number, another member that's kind of holding down the fort, making sure everyone's in line, which always happens. But um, being able to attend as a non-host is always beneficial and one of my favorite parts of the community. She also asks, um, have you ever discussed having regional simple scrapper meetups either to crop or just connect? And so I will say this happens all the time. I love seeing photos of, you know, two or three members meeting each other from all around the country and some of, you know, forged really close friendships. And it's just such an amazing thing to know that our community has helped liked, like minds connect. Um, I've also hosted a number of retreats. This October will be our third retreat in Chicago. And then I'm also hosting one in Dallas over National Scrapbook Day weekend. So these types of things are already happening. Um, and I've, I don't know of any others that are coming up right now, but that's definitely something that you can post in the community. And I just love that aspect of, of how this network of crafters can facilitate in real life relationships and experiences. Thanks for those questions, Annette. So I have a whole lot of questions here that relate to planning and time management and productivity. And so we're going to go through these. You're going to see a lot of similar themes and similar recommendations, but there's a lot of different nuances to these questions. So I want to kind of tackle each one in sequence. So Honoré asked, how and when do you plan your year's albums and projects? So for the most part, I'm doing this during November, during our annual planning party. I'm really thinking about how I want to scrapbook in the new year. And that's because if there's things that I want to order or things that I want to wrap up for the previous year, I will have plenty of time to do that. And I also know that the holiday season can be such a blur between the regular obligations and anything additional that I might want to do, such as a December daily project, that I don't like to wait until January. So that said, I do kind of sometimes keep things up in the air or use that time in December to marinate on my ideas and not make extensive plans, because as I think about it more, my plans might change. And so all that said, I think that I also take an approach of what's the main thing that I'm working on here or what are my top three priorities, but I try to save space in my schedule for new interests that come up, whether that's a renewed interest in an old project or an old format or that is something completely different that I hadn't thought of before, like a class or a challenge that I want to participate in. So I try to make sure that I don't over plan so that I have the opportunities to say yes to some of the things that come across my plate. So Anre also asked, do you have a set time or goal to work on telling these stories every day or another fixed schedule? And I would say personally, I don't. And in this this season of my life, I'm okay with that. I can see in other times of my life, I would, I could be really served by that kind of routine. But right now, one of my biggest values is flexibility. And so too much rigidity isn't working for me right now because there's too many uncertainties. 
Cynthia relatedly asked, how do you plan for creative time? So what I like to do is that when I'm planning to attend one of our open crop times, I put that on my calendar and I show up. Um, I try to tell others that I'm planning to show up, whether that's my family or other members, so that I know people are counting on me or, or, or planning for my time to be this way. Um, and I think it's just the, that's the important thing is just put it on your calendar like you would your dentist appointment or any other appointment as you schedule it out so that it happens. So Amy also asked, how do you schedule specific scrapbook time and how do you handle it when something else gets in the way of that time? So this is kind of a backdoor answer here, but I will say when I schedule specific scrapbook time, I tend to start preparing for that time. Now, um, another member mentioned that yesterday in our live training session, that if she knows she's going to be scrapbooking, she you know, on Friday night, she starts thinking about that in advance. And I definitely do that. If I know there's going to be specific time, I start thinking about photos and stories and gathering things together for my page. So once it's scheduled, it kind of creates a snowball to start the process. And so even if I wasn't able to show up at that specific time, kind of the the snowballs growing or the balls rolling down the mountain, however you want, whatever metaphor you want to use here. Um, And it's hard to stop that train once it gets started. So if I have a half finished page on my desk, or even if it's just some cardstock and photos, or maybe I have some journaling and photos, it's really hard for me to not finish that. But the trigger here is scheduling the time then I start creating and then the finishing actually happens naturally when it comes to, this is when it comes to a single layout. So I hope that's helpful. So Trish asked a question about how can I balance my daytime responsibilities with my evening desires to craft, but I have little or no physical physical or mental energy left for creativity in the evening and I can't switch this around because of family commitments. So I have a couple of different suggestions for you, and it may be worth experimenting, as we always do, to see what might be feasible. I think the the suggestion that I just discussed with setting aside a specific time and planning for it will allow you to, to maybe get things ready in pockets of time. And if the ramp up seems easy, that can help you find more of that extra energy in the evening. But if you're in a position where it feels like, oh, well, I have to get started, then it's harder to find that energy. And I'll be interesting to I'll be interested to discuss this particular question uh, during this month's um, book club discussion about indistractable, because the author of the book um, asserts that willpower is not finite, and so we shouldn't necessarily be lacking in that when it comes to the evening, though I would argue that I certainly am. So I'm I'm eager to discuss that aspect of the book. Um, And I think that how can we apply that to the situation? And I think that example that I just gave is a good one that if you don't have to find the activation energy to begin, if you're already in process somehow, it's much easier to continue in the evening. And so with that, I would look at other small pockets of time, like lunchtime or very early in the morning. What can you do in 5, 10, or 15 minutes 
to get things going, to stay caught up, maybe even doing some things on your phone, like photo management, so that when you do sit down to scrapbook, you're in more of a place to continue um, than you were before. So I hope that's helpful, Trish. Now, Danielle has kind of a similar question. How do you handle the times of life when accomplishing any scrapbooking is hard, like when you have small children and have less energy? So I think that pockets of time thing is really critical here, trying to just always be doing just a little bit so you feel like you're moving forward. But I also think it's important to uh, honor the season of life you're in and maybe adjust your expectations. So sometimes we can uh, put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to get certain things done and we think we need to meet this benchmark of productivity. And sometimes we do need to push ourselves to reach that because that's realistic. But at other times in our life, that's not realistic. And we really need to say, I need to move the bar a little lower. And that's okay because of what's happening in my life right now. And so with that, that doesn't necessarily mean doing less or scrapbooking fewer stories or photos. It could also look like adjusting your process to better manage what your life is like right now. Um, one of the easiest examples is if you are a traditional scrapbooker, even a digital scrapbooker, but you're having a hard time pulling away because you have small children, are, is there a time when you can do more things on your phone, such as with the Project Life app, so that you can be a little more mobile and yet still balance time, you know, and paying attention to your children and giving them what they need and deserve? So I hope that gives you some things to think about. You know, this type of how do we find energy and balance energy, I'll also always put in the context of when you are taking care of yourself in general, um, you know, all those fundamentals of just general health and, and wellness, um, that also can impact the time and energy and motivation that you have for scrapbooking. So if those things aren't adding up for you, that could be why scrapbooking get, keeps being pushed aside. So that's always something to consider as well. So Maggie offers one final kind of twist on this question. How do you stay motivated when you are busy or burned out? She says, I know it's okay to take a break, but I do worry that a break will mean I never get started again. So I think that's a, it's a very common worry and it is okay to take a break. Um, particularly if you're burned out, you've you finished a big project, you just worked through a big challenge, like a hundred, um, you know, the hundred day project or even a week long project, you feel like you need to take that time and use it for something else. And so what I would suggest is finding a way to stay connected, even if you're not being productive. So that, you know, being a part of our community at Simple Scrapper, watching YouTube videos, making sure you're still getting emails from your favorite creators. Um, I don't necessarily mean still shopping here if you're not using your supplies, but just staying connected and aware of what's going on um, and what others are making so that you stay inspired and interested. And, and if you're totally not interested, it's okay to even try other creative hobbies for a time and your, your love and your passion for scrapbooking will come back. Sometimes your brain just needs to connect those dots in other ways for a short period of time. 
So Maggie also asks, how do you handle deadlines? We work against self-imposed deadlines, but even those are stressful sometimes. As an example, wanting to finish an album by graduation. So I think the answer to this really depends on your personality. Um, Some individuals are very motivated by deadlines and are rigidly adhere to them. Some need external accountability and need to do that in a group. And others maybe more rebel against deadlines and try to and procrastinate or just say, oh, that deadline doesn't matter. I think, I think it really depends on your personality and what you need. Um, in this example, you have a really clear reason to do that. So I think you need to stay connected and reminded of that reason to keep you moving forward. Um, breaking down the project into smaller milestones can help. But I would say the underlying thing is really understanding, are you really deadline focused or not? And if you're not, you may need to give yourself a larger time horizon to, to get this done and to do that breaking down so that you actually make progress. So the final question in this section, I don't have the perfect answer to, but I have some ideas and some thoughts. Anna asks, how do prolific scrapbookers produce so many layouts? What is their secret strategy or advice? How much time do they spend each day or week scrapbooking? She says she's interested in their actual process so she can evaluate her own. So I would love to ask a super productive scrapbooker this question. So if you are one, please comment in, uh, on the show notes because I am not the most productive and prolific scrapbooker myself. I get a lot done. I'm proud of what I do. I know I could do more and I'm always pushing myself to do that. But I will say there's, there's something to understand that's also related to personality here, just as how personality influences your reaction to deadlines. I think there's certain types of personalities that don't feel any resistance to sitting down and making scrapbook pages. And I know, but I know many of you listening to this podcast and in our community, we do feel some sort of resistance, whether that's internal or external. There's things going on in our life. There's, you know, the self-talk that we give, you know, we've covered all the different aspects of this, but something's preventing us from creating as much as we would like. And others, in contrast, don't necessarily feel that in their life. They maybe have the same circumstances on paper, but they get it done. And so, I don't want to say that that can't be overcome using all the different strategies and techniques that we discuss, but I do want to acknowledge that there's just differences in personality types. And I would guess, um, and maybe maybe I should do a survey at some point, kind of interviewing scrapbookers and understanding their habits, that the most prolific scrapbookers you see um, tend to not have that kind of resistance. And... It just comes naturally and they're not even, there is no secret. They're not using timers. They're not, um, you know, doing the things that we suggested in terms of marinating an idea or planning in small bits of time. They're just sitting down and making pages uh, because it comes easy to them. So I just want to honor that and to, to recognize that there are differences in people. All right, Anna, that's a great question. And if others have specific ideas on this particular question, um, I would love to hear your feedback in the show notes. 
All right, moving into our next big section. Cynthia asks, how do you handle too many supplies? I think this is a really common struggle and the definition of too many can vary from person to person. But whatever you feel like is too many, um, I think it's important to be honest about that and to look at your stuff with a critical eye. Um, I've been a big fan in recent years of Project 333, it was a fashion minimalist challenge. And I think it's given me a lot of perspective on what you really need and what is excess. I think clothes and all of our fashion accessories are often similar to scrapbook supplies because we probably can't ever get around to going through and using all of it or in the case of clothing, wearing all of it. And so I think it's really important at a certain point, if you really feel like you have too many things to get rid of some of it, and that may look like recycling, donate, um, using up for other types of craft projects that can be a fun challenge over a short term to see how many of these things can I use up um, alone or with friends or with children. Um, but of course, there are always lots of options for making sure those supplies do get put to good use. And I think it's important to not feel guilty about letting go of those supplies if they're going to invite more space in your life that will help you be creative. All right, Jackie asks kind of the follow-up question. How do you let go of those supplies that you aren't using? She says, I have a terrible tendency to keep things that are pretty or I liked at one time I spent money on and I need more advice on how to purge my stash. So kind of just continuing on what I've already said is I think that it's important to work slowly because it can be really overwhelming. Um, I would never advise anyone to say, I'm going to go through and declutter my entire stash of scrapbook supplies in one day. I think you can do one layer of that and know that it's going to be an iterative process. So the first thing to do would be to go through and look for any trash. And then the second level would be to look for any obvious things that, to get rid of. And then once you start having to make decisions to go slower, to divide things into categories or zones um, so that you can compartmentalize it more and do it in smaller bits of time. So March's book club selection, Decluttering at the Speed of Life, um, I'm in the middle of that right now. And it's really amazing, uh, especially in contrast to so many other of the organizing and decluttering books that we've read and how practical and straightforward and how I really feel like the author gets me so much more than any of the authors of the other books we've read of the same variety. I feel like she knows what my house looks like, the types of things that I do, like putting a bunch of clutter in a bag and promising to sort it later. So I, I think that would be a good strategy for looking at not just your scrapbook supplies, but all of your things um, with a new lens. And she gives some really practical strategies for tackling it. So Annette has a great question that's kind of on the other end of this situation. And what is your strategy when memorabilia walks through your front door? 
She says, I'm finding that too many of my, too much of my precious craft time is spent sorting piles of memorabilia and moving it from one pile to another as it slowly migrates to my craft desk, which is located in the basement. So obviously your setup is going to be a little bit different, but this is how it works for me. Um, When my daughter brings something home, if it is really extraordinarily three-dimensional, yet I do not want to save it, I try to photograph it as fast as I can. Um, If it's three-dimensional and I do want to save it, I try to put it in a place of honor so that we can enjoy that, such as on a shelf or a shelf, some sort of shelf or flat surface somewhere so that we can enjoy that item. Those tend to be the smaller items. Um, If it is a flat piece of memorabilia and it's something that I don't intend to save, um, I will try to dispose of that as quickly as possible so there are no hard feelings. If it is something flat that I do want to save, then it goes into a a magazine holder box on... um, on our desk area in the kitchen, you know, the area where you keep your pens and your keys and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, once a semester, I go through that box and usually I end up getting rid of half of it. No, half of it no longer really resonates. I'm like, why did I save that? And then the other half goes into a bin labeled for this particular school year. Now, imagining as she gets older, I might have Uh, one bin for multiple school years, but we're definitely, she's just eight and a half. We're in that phase of life where one bin per school year is working out. Um, And even, you know, kindergarten year, that one is jam-packed, but now for third grade, I know there's not going to be really that many things in it at this point. Um, I also want to say that I, I guess I choose probably to keep less than most people. I don't know. Um, I think it's about what you want to do and to recognize that as time passes, you probably will get rid of more of it. But the the key point for me is to have very clear homes for where these things go. And having the bins labeled means that there is a, a, a clear home for it. And I don't know what I will ever do. Some of those things do end up getting pulled out and put in my scrapbook, for the, but the most part, they do not. Um. Maybe someday I'll try to consolidate it down. Maybe I will pass them down. I really have no idea. But having that home allows me to not have memorabilia be a worry for me. Um, And I have probably five more boxes. Um, These are the 13 by 13 iris cases that I get at Michael's. So I have five more that are empty that are just waiting for future years. So I kind of I have a plan for where it goes. And for me, that's the peace of mind that I need at this time in my life. So Anne asked, do you keep nostalgic things? But I think she's referring to more personal things. She says, I have a box full of lasting moments magazines, and I'm wondering why I'm holding on to them. Really, do I need them? Well, I think the question for you is, do you ever reference them? Do you ever go look something up? Do you flip through them for inspiration? And I would say this goes for any type of paper collections you have, whether it's scrapbooking related or recipes. Do you go back and reference it? Or when you need an idea or you need inspiration or you need leisure reading, do you turn to other sources these days? And I'm guessing for the vast majority of our listeners that they turn to other sources. We're turning to digital sources. You're listening to podcasts. You're on Pinterest. You're on Instagram. You are hanging out in lots of places where you can gather um, kind of 
a, gen- a general sense of inspiration for scrapbooking. You can stay connected and, and, ex- and access specific ideas such as sketches and that these, you know, more traditional forms of media that are paper are not what you're reaching for. And so if that is the case, then I do think it is time to recycle them because they're just taking up space. They're taking up space not only in your home, but in your mind. Um, and they're kind of holding space for in terms of how do I say this they're blocking the way of future possibilities so I'm a big fan of trying to create as much space as you can for all the unknowns that are still to come in the future you never know what that might be and I think the more that we can let go of the more openness that we feel for all those future things so on a related note, she, she asks, how do you handle class material? Do you, gather, do you bother to go back and finish classes that you purchased, even if it's years later? What do you do with the handouts? Do you save them? So I would say that anything that is that I have digitally, I would not save a printed version of. And now for the most part, I, I haven't printed any handouts related to these classes, but I know that many people do. But if I have it digitally, I do not save a hard copy. Um, that said, if I even if I have a digital copy, I tend to not go back and finish things, but I will I will keep select items. Let's just say there was a class that you really enjoyed that had a one page cheat sheet or a, a list of storytelling ideas or one page or even a, a small little collection that of pages that were really helpful to you that you would use as a reference. I would pull those out and put those somewhere else. Now, these days I put those types of things in Trello and I actually have a number of references from classes that I've taken over the years in Trello so that I can really easily go find them when I need them. Um, The best example I have is a business related one. I have saved several different references of great questions to ask um, when you're doing an evaluation or a survey because I always like to refer back to that so I know I'm asking questions in the right way to get really great answers. So yeah, this is another thing though overall where I would really tend towards letting go. And I think I would say in, with classes in general, my approach is to absorb what you can in the moment and know that it's that some of those ideas are somewhere in in you and they will inspire your future pages and that I don't like to personally have a lot of backlog that I'm trying to get to because I always know there's going to be more let's call it front log, there's more things coming that I'm going to want to check off. And so I will have create more opportunities to say yes to those if I don't have things from the past weighing me down. All right, the next few questions are more about kind of logistics of organization. So Candace asks, how are you storing papers, plain pattern in all sizes? So let me start with my smaller paper pads. I have six by six and six by eight paper pads. I think I even have a couple four by sixes. I have these standing upright um, in one of my Target Itzo bins. These were these amazing bins that are no longer made, but they were 13 inches long by six inches wide or, or maybe six and a quarter. So they are so perfect for thickers, Anything that's, you know, of the 12 by 12 or 6 by 12 variety in scrapbooking and for standing those up so they easily can be flipped through. 
Now, of course, there's lots of different other containers, but I really like standing storage for smaller things so that I can thumb through them um, and they're not in piles in a drawer. So with that said, my larger papers, I actually recently transitioned to a new system. I have to say, I don't love it as much as my old one, but it is working. So in my old system, I had one of those uh, cropper hopper black dividers so that all of my pattern papers and, and cardstocks could be standing upright. And I had both the dividers and some pockets um, to further subdivide them. And that worked really, really well for me. But that thing does not fit in my new um, Ikea shelves behind me. So my square shelves, the the Calax. So I was really disappointed in that. I have repurposed it. And it's actually sitting under my desk now, um, facing upright. So I have my larger, my watercolor papers, um, some of my other printer papers, I have those standing upright in it now, like right by my printer. So it makes it really handy. So I have repurposed it. Um, but now all of my cardstock and pattern paper are on my umbrella crafts trays. So these are those kind of almost like scrapbook store trays that are plastic lucite. And um, I have half of my trays that are for just this organization of papers. And then the other half are kind of our for works in progress, um, things that I, I need to do with or so actual projects. I don't love it as much, but I am still using both the dividers and those pocket envelopes um, to separate by manufacturer. So it makes it easy still to pull some of those out. Um, I will say also next to those umbrella crafts trays, I have some of those pocket folders still standing upright. I think I have one that has like more um, like gold foil and vellum papers and some transparencies that are standing upright um, that I can just still pull out those envelopes and find what I need. I personally like organizing by manufacturer because that's how I, I tend to be thinking about a mood or an overall style of of paper that I'm looking for. And so I will, that is a, a helpful way for me. You may do it totally differently. In terms of my cardstock, I have it roughly organized by all white. And then I have a section for cream and craft. And then I have a section for multicolor. And the multicolor is kind of, at one point it was roughly by you know, organized by color and rainbow order, but I'm not sure it's perfectly that way anymore. I don't tend to use a lot of colored cardstock myself though, so it's not that important. I tend to con I can find what I need when I need to. Um, so I hope that's helpful. Now, Candace also asked about being a, a newcomer to digital scrapbooking and how she rec how I would recommend organizing digital scrapbook supplies. She says, I find I'm searching for the digital item and when I'm trying to do that, it kills my creative flow. Ruth Ann also asked, how do you organize digital scrapbook supplies? So this is, there's a lot of personal preference when it comes to this. I will say that for me, I had, when I was primarily a digital scrapbooker, I organized them in folders and I found that perfectly sufficient. And there was a couple reasons for that. One is that I primarily scrapped from a single kit at a time. I'd buy a kit from a scrapbook designer and I would use 99% of uh, or 99% of what I used on my page was from that single kit with very few exceptions. And so that worked really well for me. So I just picked a kit, I made my page, I was done. 
Um, my current stash of digital supplies is is more divided between digital basics like some cardstock, some stitches, and staples. Um, some a whole section on word art, and then I have another section for kits. That's kind of where I left it when I I stopped doing primarily digital, and and I still go back in there once in a while. There are some that really enjoy having their digital supplies in software so they can see all the supplies and organize them in different ways. They can even tag them, if they will, you know, so that you can find, say, for example, everything that's red. You can also use the artificial intelligence abilities of software these days to search the word red and it will find a lot of your things that are red. Um, whether that was labeled that way in the file name itself, or it can see what's in your image and pick out things that are red. Um, I've done that a lot in Lightroom. Like I search for food or landscape or a color, and it will bring up a lot, but not everything. So because of my own kit-focused scrapbooking and the way I, I even back then saw technology going, I was never one to tag all my digital supplies because that's so many files and so cumbersome that I find that for, for most people, it's not practical. If you scrapbook across lots of kits, you might find that a little bit differently. You might need to adjust your workflow or do something a little bit differently to find the supplies that you need. So I definitely welcome others to chime in in the comments here on this particular topic just because I'm no longer primarily digital scrapbooking and I would love to hear how others are staying organized these days. All right, going off on another topic, Jamie asks, what do you take to crops? What products do you use that travel well when scrapping off-site? So I will say that my stash is not that large to begin with. And so it, it, the things that I'm using from a day-to-day don't vary that much when I go to a crop. I will say that I have not ever flown to a crop. And at this stage, I don't have any plans to. I've driven to all of them. So space was not really an issue. Um, my day-to-day paper trimmer is relatively compact. Um, one time I did just bring a four by six trimmer just to trim my photos and small papers. And I made sure not to bring any 12 by 12 papers. I found that worked really well. Um, and if you are going to a crop and you just bring your small trimmer, there's always someone else who has a big trimmer in case you need it. Um, I do have like a really big like 12 by 18 heavy duty trimmer. I would never bring that to a crop. It sits on a desk. <laughs> it's just heavy duty. It can cut through cardstock. Um, so I would never try to take that, but I like my day-to-day trimmers and I will include those links in the show notes for the ones that I use. I'm really liking my uh, Tim Holtz travel stamp press. I actually have a question later on in this Q&A on that and I will share more about how I use it. But that's definitely a go-to. I will usually select uh, a number of stamp sets that I think are kind of multi-purpose, like maybe 10 or 15. Um, I probably am not going to bring all of my stamps, but I do like, I like stamping. And I think that just is another way of adding more embellishment to my page without actually bringing too many embellishments. Um, I will often bring a bunch of chipboard stickers and some die cut pieces. 
And I will include in the show notes a link to how I store my die cut pieces. My chipboards are just standing up. So I'd probably put those in like, a, you know, a zipper bag or a basket for travel. Um, and for the most part, I would probably make page kits or just even like larger kits so that I'm scrapping from a smaller number of supplies. So it's not necessarily even the types of products that I'm bringing. It's just about really being ready to create, printing off photos in advance. Um, I actually, the last crop I went to, I was not able to get all my photos printed in advance. And I went to the Walgreens and I was really disappointed in the quality. Um, I traditionally print at home. I like to have control over borders and things like that. And so it really it didn't excite me and I didn't have as much fun creating with them. It was fine. I didn't redo the pages, but I would have preferred that I had gotten, I had had a chance to print them in advance. So to me, it's more about the prep, knowing what you're going to do and then bringing the things for those projects. Um, And always bringing a little bit extra because at least in our community, we tend to be pretty productive at crops. Maybe that's because we are a lot of introverts and we value that quiet time. We're just all kind of humming along. but I think the prep is really the most important. So Jamie also asked a fun question. What's one new thing coming out this year that it's on your I want but probably don't need list? And so I didn't have I didn't have a lot of things come to mind, but one thing instantly came to mind, and that is the silhouette cameo four. <laughs> so hopefully some of you are laughing because I only just got out my silhouette cameo one the original like over Christmas break and I had had it on my shelf for five years it's kind of embarrassing and now that I'm using it again I'm using it all the time I'm loving it I'm like why didn't I use this before I had a mental block I thought it was hard I thought the software was clunky I think it's a combination of me being in a different place and also the software improving enough that it just works really easily these days so but now that I'm doing it I'm like oh I'd really like to have something newer that works faster maybe less noisy cuts through thicker things Um, but I think I need to prove it to myself that I can really use this throughout the year and maybe come you know Black Friday time I can justify uh, picking up the new one all right thanks for your questions Jamie All right, now we're moving into a section on projects. So Cynthia asks, what's your favorite project? And I've shared so many times how much I love my Before Your Story album. This is the album that I created to tell my life story from birth to adulthood as a way of kind of catching up on 31 years of my life without ever having to actually scrapbook them in a traditional sense. And that's probably the project that I am the most proud of. But the projects that I think are some of my favorite are some of my mini albums that are so not scrapbooky. They're just little collections of things. Um, I have one from when my husband had his hip replaced. I have his like medical bracelet and the doctor's notes and, you know, the get well cards that he had and a couple photos, but it's really just like a memorabilia collection on rings. And there's something so satisfying about those types of projects. 
I also have a collection of postcards that one of my dear friends has sent me from every single country he's ever been to, and he's traveled the world since we were in college. So I think the first one is from 2001, so like 19 years of postcards. So I have to say that's probably my favorite project. It's not scrapbooking in any sense, but I so treasure that one, and that's definitely something that I would save if my house was burning down. All right, so continuing on projects, Gina asks, have you ever tossed layouts or albums out of your collection after they were complete? I have to think, I think the answer is no. I have certainly tossed a couple of things that were unfinished foundations. I, I, I would say it's very rare that I would have any kind of layout foundation, but I know a lot of you guys do have those. But there's definitely a couple like mini albums, small type of project foundations that I created as a sample and that I never, I never did anything with. And so I did let that go. So it wasn't just hanging over my head. Um, this is definitely a very personal thing. If you are feeling like this isn't representative of my style or my family, there's always options for how can you condense that down I will say there were probably 50 12 by 12 digital layouts that I threw away because I reprinted those in 8 by 8. Because when I printed them in 12 by 12, I was like, this is really, really big. And so I reprinted them smaller and then created subsequently hundreds of digital pages in that same size. And so I have that album collection. So I would say if you're in this position of maybe wanting to let go of things that you actually finished, I would maybe look at options for consolidation, maybe even scanning the pages. How can you save them? Um, or are those stories otherwise captured? And that would, that in my, in my opinion, would allow you to let those go. So Anne asks a related question. Have you completely, ever completely abandoned a project? And what do you do with the unfinished stuff that no longer inspires you? Like, perhaps related to that project. So I would say there's a couple couple things that I can think of where uh, one example is a, a summer mini book that I started. I think I did June and July and I never did August. It's pretty clear that I'm never going to do August. So it's a June and July album. I'm pretty sure at some point I took everything out of that bag and I put the items back into my stash and, and got rid of anything that I, I didn't want anymore and just consider the album done now. Um, and I'm okay with that. So I can't think of a time in which I completely abandoned something other than that. I know there's been some other just small things where I like more like journal type projects where I played a little bit. Um, there was some, maybe some travel albums where I didn't have enough stuff to fill it. So it was, it seemed incomplete, but that's all I had. Um, cause maybe I'd chosen a foundation that was too large to start with. Um, yeah, I would say similar advice here to Gina though, is that if you are in a position where you feel like this is not inspiring me, I will never finish this. What can you do to either put a bow on it and say it's done or to repurpose that into something else that you are more excited about? So Tiffany has a question that's a little bit different here. She says, I have four children and I wonder how to be fair or have an even amount of pages projects among them. Do you have any thoughts? 
So I do have thoughts on this, but I will say this is not from personal experience. I have a daughter and I also have two stepsons, um, which obviously they had so much life before I ever married their father. So what we're, what our approach is, is to do, you know, we're scrapbooking from here forward of our life. Whenever we are, you know, the boys are involved in our life, they, they get their own layouts and photos. Um, and so I, I'm not necessarily trying to make it fair. Uh, I'm telling the stories that are happening in our lives. And I would say that if you want to feel the sense of fairness, that I would do some things that are special, that are just about each child. Like I have a friend who does, um, this is Alyssa, who's been on the podcast a few times. She has an ornament album for each of her daughters. So each year they get a new ornament, put it on their tree, and she documents the story and the meaning behind that album. So it's a way she has these specific things that are special to her daughters. Um, I've also done annual photo books for my daughter. I've also done like photo books for myself just as an example that span multiple years. So maybe like every five years you want to do a photo book for each kid, pick your 20, 30 favorite photos for each kid and make a photo book. So they feel like they have things where they're represented um, in, you know, in a dedicated format. Um, but for the most part for my everyday scrapbooking, I'm not really thinking about, well, how do I duplicate things or, or make sure that it's, fair to everyone. I'm telling our family story. Some of those photos have all five of us. Some of them have just Emily in them. Some of them have just me and my husband and I'm just going forward and those are my albums. And at some point, you know, they, something will happen to them. Um, but I would say that I think that creating special projects for each child and maybe even you pick one child, the oldest child and do a special project for a year. And then next year you do a special project about the next child, uh, maybe covering just their, a certain span of life. Maybe every child has like a grade school year's book that you create. So I think there's a lot of ways to be creative for this, to do smaller projects that then, you know, you can hand down at their graduation or when they're, you know, getting married, moving on into their, their adult lives. So they, you feel like they're being given that that specialness that you want to give them individually um, while still maintaining, you know, your regular scrapbooking. So as always, I know there's going to be lots of folks who do have lots of children who may have other ideas. So please do share those in the show notes. So this is episode number 56. So it'd be simplescrapper.com slash SYW056. And of course, the link is always in um, the you know, iTunes or wherever you listen to, it's always in the description to our show notes. Okay. We have two more sections here. Hopefully I can edit this down to about an hour. Um, I really appreciate all the questions. These are so like rich and um, detailed and, you know, there's, there's subtleties here that I hope we can capture in, in the responses. So the next section is about storytelling. And so Jill asks, how do you balance individual pages you make on a single topic with more story-oriented albums where they kind of go together, such as a December Daily Project or my Before Your Story album? So I would say that I tend to have one of each going at the same time. So what I mean is 
I'm making pages that go towards my everyday albums. Um, And then I also have a project that I'm working on, or maybe even two projects. Um, Right now, I'm doing lots of eight and a half by 11, very story focused layouts. I'm doing a digital project life using Adobe InDesign. And then I'm also working on a photo book for last year's Disney vacation. So that's about all I can put on my plate at any one time. And I still have to juggle what am I going to work on in any one setting. But I would say I always have like two strains going. There's like my always making layouts. And then there's these separate projects that may capture my focus for a period of time. And then I go back to making layouts again. So I think the reality here, as I said, is you can only do one thing at one time. But if you have a couple options, it always or rather it helps ensure that you, there's always something that's exciting you and inspiring you. All right. Thanks for the question, Jill. So Gina and Christina have some questions that are, that are related here. Uh, Gina asks, have you ever told a story that was someone else's yet you had perspective on it too? And she's thinking of her 20-something children's stories. Um, so I would say yes, all the time. I would say almost all of my stories are about someone else and my perspective on it. Um, sometimes I do bring in their perspective, but these are my scrapbooks. So that's what I have to offer is my perspective and my, my connection to that story. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever shy away from doing that. And especially as our children grow, our perspective changes and, and the, the lens that we have for their life, definitely, um, it's a little bit smaller. We don't see as much of what's happening. Hopefully we're, they're telling us things and we're communicating, but all you still have is your reaction to that and your worries and your challenges and your excitements for them as they are going about their lives. So that's, that's how I would approach it. Um, and to just consider you are the storyteller here. You're the narrator of the story and embrace that role. So in a similar perspective, Christina asks, how does one tackle 50, 70, or 100-year-old photos? Some know the people in stories, some we, we only know the people, and some you just don't know who they are. So I would say that, again, you are the storyteller. All you can do is share your perspective on it. Sometimes I will even journal, like, I wonder if, or I would guess that, or I imagine, you know, share whatever caveat that you need to, to, so, to say that this is not fact. But if you have a feeling or a memory or a, some sort of connection to it, then share that in your journaling. Um, I would also say that those ten, type of older photos, it's, it's more of a preservation process. You're often trying to make sure that these are archived properly. Maybe you're sharing them online um, in your family tree and you're just trying to make sure these are protected and well documented so it's less about scrapbooking them in a traditional sense. But still, I would emphasize that you are the storyteller and that's what you have um, for the most part. So, okay. Shifting gears, more storytelling questions. Danielle has a specific question related to our bucket list project class. How do you start breaking down the larger stories? She says, for example, I initially wrote on my list, do my four-year-old's baby book. But that's really its own project and a whole lot of stories when she started thinking about it. So how do you go about breaking that down? Or is that really something else entirely? 
So I would say for the most part that the bucket list project is designed to help you tell very specific individual stories. It doesn't mean that those might not turn into an album or be a photo book, but for the most part, these are about telling a story on a layout using one, two, maybe even three pages. So that said, I would break this down. Um, You can still consider it a bucket list project in itself. I wouldn't turn it into multiple bucket list pages. I would just give it more weight and more, therefore put more time and energy into it. Uh, Perhaps do it over, you know, one, two or three sprints of the project. So I would break it down by, you have a number of options here. You could do it uh, by kind of theme, like feeding, sleeping, diapering, you know, milestones. You could go chronological. Think about how you'd want that book to be presented. Um, Maybe start by going through the things that you have. What photos do you have? What memorabilia do you want to incorporate? And try to figure out, okay, what is the most practical and most fun format to bring all this together? For example, are you willing to digitize memorabilia so you can put it in a photo book? Or is that not something that's important to you? Are you willing to keep your memorabilia separately so you can create a photo book? Or do you want the tactile full experience with lots of light, excuse me, with lots of layouts and bringing the memorabilia into the album itself? So think about your your desire for the end result and then work backwards of what's then is most practical and still fun for you. And then look at what you have and then start breaking that whole project down into pieces, such as you can do the foundation and add layers on that. I would say two different, um, two different classes that we have would be helpful for this. One is the finishing project class because um, that not only helps you finish projects you have started, it helps you start projects that you can finish. But even the before your story framework in a more minimal sense, kind of very pared down, I think could be really useful for doing a baby book if you're starting from scratch. Um, I wouldn't do the same number of pages and number of photos, but maybe narrowing it down to a smaller number can be a, a really feasible and fun way. All right, Danielle, that was a lot. I hope that was helpful. Please do follow up if you need more support on this particular topic. All right. Gina asks, how do you store or record stories now that you're not ready to tell? How do you keep track of them? So I would say that I've tried a number of things over the years, and I tend to focus on lists of what I want to tell next. And I also, I have a certain trust that because of my photo library and the memorabilia that I keep, and even my supplies to a certain extent, that other stories will always come back later. So I I don't tend to keep a very exhaustive list of every story I might want to tell ever, because then that becomes a checklist that I can never finish. So I tend to be thinking about you know, with the example of our bucket list tool, what are the next 12 stories that I want to make? What are the next even three layouts that I want to do? What are the next three projects that I want to complete? And then I focus on those and then I figure out, okay, what is next? Um, Whenever in my life that I've tried to be exhaustive, I've felt overwhelmed and I've failed at the productivity that I wanted to see. Um, And so I kind of just stopped doing that in general from 
I stopped saving every single recipe that looked good. I stopped bookmarking every website I wanted to visit again. Um, and especially now that we have so much search capability, um, you know, whether that's in Google or even in Lightroom, how I can search my photos. I just don't try to save as many things because I know I will never run out of things to do. Um, and to me, that, that approach has been very freeing. So I tend to focus on just those very small lists of very next steps. And to me, that's been a key to productivity without the anxiety and, and fear of never being able to ca- catch up. Because I know I won't be able to, so I don't even try. All right. Last question in this section. Florence asks, what are your best or what is your best advice for journaling, for writing the stories? How do you not forget the stories? And what is your process when you start with a photo and don't think about the story behind it? Oh, this is a good one. So I have a couple different tips here. If you're kind of not sure where you're going, I like to do pre-writing, whether that's typing or just handwriting on a piece of scratch paper to try to see where my story is going. Sometimes we'll start writing and it's not till the next paragraph that you actually get to your real point and then that becomes your story. Um, If there is a particular, if there's details of stories in the moment of, you know, something my daughter said or these particular things happen, I like to share those things on social media. Um, Even if you share it to your Facebook feed and you make it private, at least it's there. Um, You can also use apps like Day One to save those particulars. I don't do a lot of that, but I do do some of that um, because I know it's saved there for the future. Um, You can also put that metadata in your photo. If you use software like Lightroom, you can put the, you know, the quote your daughter said right attached to the picture. Um, We're going on a big trip very soon. And I am anticipating like as we go about the trip, I'm going to be documenting in the metadata where this place is and what the significance is, because I don't want to go back later and not know what these different buildings are and what they mean. Um, So that type of documentation is very possible and there's lots of options for that. Um, In terms of forgetting the stories, I also think it's important to honor that the more time that has passed after the story has happened, the more perspective you have on it and the more that will change and that's okay. I will often put photographed on and then journaled on or documented on on my layouts as two separate dates particularly if they are very distant in time by you know by years um to make it clear that I'm reflecting back on this story and with the perspective that I have now and that's what I have to offer you know we talked about before is that you are the storyteller all you have is what is in your head and your heart right now and that's what you can give to that story even if you don't remember every detail um And to me, those, the feelings and the significance of why you're still scrapbooking this so many years later is that is far more important than some of the subtle details of what was happening in the particular story. Now, the other part of your question about when you start with a photo and don't think about the story behind it, that happens to me all the time, especially if I have a photo that I love and I really want to document it. I sit there and as I'm creating the page, maybe some things come about, I think about what the title might be, and then the story kind of comes together. Sometimes I only have a few sentences of journaling, but I focus on the facts, the feelings, and the memories. And sometimes it can be just one of each three sentences to make really beautiful journaling. So what's in this photo? 
Uh, how do I feel about it? And what does it make me think of? And it's those connections to what's inside of you and to the rest of your life or to the past that I think can make journaling very rich and thought provoking and just deepen the storytelling on your page all within three sentences. All right. Thank you, Florence. Those were great, great questions. All right, we've got just a couple left. Thank you guys so much for submitting all these. And for all of you that are still listening, this has been really fun. If you enjoy this style of episode, let me know and we can do it again in the future. All right, moving into process. Terry asks, have you ever tried adding more multimedia art to your pocket pages or your layout, such as inks, embossing, oxides, gelatos, paint? Yes, I have. I even have a class on it. Uh, Mixed media... Big for beginners. I forgot what it's called. No, but yes, no, I've definitely done a lot of this. There's some mediums that I've not worked a lot in. I love painting on my backgrounds, though. It's one of my favorite ways to start a page. I love stamping on my backgrounds. Um, I feel like this is a fun way to get your creative expression out. And then you could add your scrapbooking to it. And to me, that's a very satisfying creative experience overall. Um, I also sometimes just create this art just for the fun of it. Some of it I save, some of it I don't, some of it I frame, some of it I give away. Um, but I think that anything that you can do to just make your whole experience more fun, more tactile, I think is worth it because that's what keeps you coming back to the table. And whether you're telling stories with these projects or not, uh, they're going to keep you creating so that you do get more of those stories told. I will uh, include a link to information about the class in the show notes. All right. So Anne asks, how do you not get overwhelmed with all the choices for one specific project, such as December Daily? That's an interesting one. I see December Daily in particular as as an opportunity to maybe go outside my creative comfort zone. I'm not very blingy or flashy in my scrapbooking in general, but I do enjoy a bit of glitter sequins and pizzazz that time of year. So it's an opportunity to play. Um, with projects. I also tend to think format size first. What what am I creating in what size? And then I let the product choices fill in that gap. So let's say I'm creating a 12 by 12 album. I'm not going to choose three by eight supplies because it's not going to fit or vice versa. If I'm creating a three by eight album. I'm going to make sure that I'm not buying a bunch of four by six, you know, journaling cards because it's not going to fit. So I try to back in once I've chosen kind of the foundation for my project. Um, I tend to be word art and pattern paper focused and then extra embellishments kind of come last for me. Uh, When I am doing a mini album project, I end up not using that many embellishments. I use a lot of word art. I use a lot of pattern paper and a lot of photos and a lot of journaling. Um, So also think about how you create in that particular format to guide you to the types of supplies that you should purchase. All right. That's a great question. Thank you. All right. Ina wanted to follow up on that. She called it the Tim Holtz stamp platform thingy. So I will include any, if I can still find this available, I will include a link in the show notes. This has been discontinued off the market because of the lawsuit with my sweet petunia who creates the misty um they thought this particular design was was too close to their design um 
let's just talk about stamp platforms in general. I think this is a genius product um, and it has totally taken the stress out of stamping. I've always liked stamping, but this tool has made me love stamping because I don't, I don't stress about it anymore. I don't stress about stamping on especially textured cardstock that the impression's going to come out all weird. I can just stamp again and it turns out perfect. So I'm loving it. I, I do use the magnet. Sometimes I even, um, I, I think I added an extra magnet a couple times. I've had people recommend using kind of the low tack um, mats that you'd use like with a silhouette or a cricket to help keep things down. I've had a little bit of sliding, but I think if I'm really careful and I really put the magnets in the right place, it's not been a problem. Um, I do like the compact size. I have the one that's six by six, but it has an open edge so that you can stamp anywhere on a 12 by 12 sheet except the very center. So that's perfect for me. I wouldn't want, want one anyone. I would not want it any bigger since I tend to scrap on the, the small table right in front of me. And, and I just love having it. So I will try to include any links that I can in the show notes for that or related types of products. All right. And the last question here, Jamie asks, is there a form of scrapbooking you haven't tried yet, but want to? Hmm. I don't know. I guess I've never, I've tried memory planning. I didn't like it. I couldn't keep up with it. It was too many boxes to fill in. I honestly can't think of anything that I haven't tried at least a little bit. So yeah, I don't know. I guess my perspective on this is that I'm always willing to try something new, um, both to see if it fits for me and to share my experiences with all of you. And I know there's going to be something out there in the future that I, I that will come and I will probably try it just because I'm curious. Um, I'm always evolving my hobby. Um, as you heard in my the most recent episode with Shannon Manton, you know, we're always trying to make our hobbies a little bit more fun and a little bit more easy by shifting our approaches. And it's definitely something that I always do. I will, I anticipate continuing to do that. So when the, the new thing comes out, I will probably try it. Um, so if there's other things that you guys uh, haven't tried but want to, that's definitely something I'd love to hear in the show notes because we can all kind of swap stories of your experiences. But yeah, I think I've Nothing comes to mind that I have never tried, but I appreciate the question. All right, friends, that is it. This wraps up this episode that is much longer than I thought it would be. And now my voice is actually kind of cutting out here, but I do appreciate all the questions and I appreciate you guys spending time with me here on the podcast. I have so much fun doing it and I've got a whole lineup of guests coming up. I've pre-recorded a whole bunch of episodes for the next couple months and you guys are going to love it. So thanks for being here. And as always, I want you to remember that you have permission to scrapbook your way. 